The term structural violence sounds a bit extreme in the context of social justice at work, doesn't it? Brings up images of physical conflict and damage. But we tend not to think about the subtle acts that we individually and as an organisation can do, mostly subconsciously, that can cause just as much damage. Subtle acts such as expecting a certain accent or a certain way of speaking and responding pejoratively to that. Or having policies and procedures that don't take account of someone's caring responsibilities or someone's faith requirements and expecting them to comply with those policies and procedures because that's how our organisation operates. These are the kinds of things that we mean when we talk about structural violence and social justice at work. In this episode of the Privilege Eruption podcast, we explore the root cause of structural violence in the workplace. We provide some examples and look at how you can take measures to reduce or even eliminate it. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast. This is a podcast by Belonging Pioneers and Culture Lab Consultancy about the questions and ideas around the hidden barriers to achieving our diversity, equity and inclusion goals. This is where we erupt the constraining impact of privilege and explore how possibilities in the context of shared power and purpose can be achieved. If you are getting value from our podcasts, remember please do take a moment to rate our show You can do that on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, on YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We would really appreciate that. It makes a big difference for us. Also, we want to learn and grow with you. So please send us your thoughts or your questions, your reflections. Reach out to our team using the link in the description and tell us what you like or dislike or what you'd like to see more of in our podcast episodes. Today, we're joined in this podcast by Maria Arpa from the Centre for Peaceful Solutions. Maria brings lived experience of having been impacted by structural violence in life and also at work. Having worked through the challenges faced by being an immigrant family given housing that was unfit for habitation, she went on to set up and run a highly successful business, having had a career in marketing and advertising. Maria also believes in giving back, so she gave back as a Samaritan volunteer and a counsellor, a Reiki master, a mediator, and the chief executive of a community mediation service. Through this journey, Maria came to understand how conflict is at the heart of destructive behaviour, and that with a change in attitude towards it, conflict could be the source of positive change. Maria chose to devote her life to sharing this learning with people who've got fewer options in life in order that she could help them realise their own capacity to contribute to their own well-being and to their community. In this episode, Maria shares with us her journey and how she can work with different organisations, including prisons, to reduce and in some cases eliminate structural violence in the workplace and achieve social justice. So, Please join us in um, enjoying this episode, in learning from it and sharing what you learn with the people in your organisation. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer 
at Belonging Pioneers. Amir Kaminato, founder of Culture Lab Consultancy. Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do. You want to create success through connection and belonging, and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work. And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realize a culture of inclusion for all. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to uh, another episode. Um, we're kicking off season four of the Privilege Eruption podcast. And as we said at our introduction last week, um, you know, we're talking about social justice this season and we're, we're doing so from different perspectives. And the first one we really want to explore in this session is talking about structural violence. And I'm going to start with a quote. Few tragedies can be more extensive than the stunting of life. Few injustices deeper than the denial of an opportunity to strive or even to hope by a limit imposed from without, but falsely identified as lying within. That's a quote from Stephen Jay Gould, The Mismeasure of Man. And what, what it tells us is, is that, you know, um, and when we think about structural violence, it's 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 mostly hidden and unrecognizable or unrecognized in that sense. And, you know, structural violence refers to, say, avoidable limitations. They could be political, economic, religious, cultural, legal. And, and, and those limitations that, that as a society we place on groups of people and we constrain their ability. And I do say we on that because we are part of society. And, you know, the constraints are about ability to achieve a quality of life, uh, meet basic needs. Um, it's about not having a level playing ground, a le level playing field, a starting point in life. And, and you know, these limitations um, are a form of and, and, and are forms of structural violence. <clears throat> and they, they experience as daily difficulties encountered and experienced in the course of daily life. We normalize these experiences. They become the norm. And when they become the norm, they get ignored. Hence, they become hidden and they're unrecognized in that sense. And when we're talking about the workplace, structural violence in the workplace in this episode, and this relates to disparities, discrimination, prejudice, harassment, inequitable workplaces. Ishreen, this is a, a, a really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. You know, as you were reading that quote and, and what you've just said, Cammy, it reminds me of. <laughs> Um, that I heard on the news um, recently, which is that th the Church of England is now making reparation costs for the structural violence from slavery. Mm. It's about time, but until now, that was, I would say, structural violence. You know, the money that they got, the benefit they got from slave traders. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we're starting to deconstruct it and move forward as a society, but there's still a long way to go, right? Well, this is slow work, isn't it? But it's worthy work and one that, you know, the commitment needs to continue, the commitment and the effort needs to continue. And until we bring these things to light, things don't change. And while change might feel like it's slow, it's still happening in, in different parts of our society. I think what we're talking about can be taken as a well-meaning, you know, fluff, do-gooding kind of 
um, conversation. Mm. But I just want our listeners to really, before we get into this subject, really appreciate the costs to your organization of not dealing with this. Um, I've been looking at some of the data and it really does cost organizations. So where you let this kind of behavior persist and the person impacted has the courage to take your organization to court, it can be really expensive. So the highest tribunal cost awarded last year, 2022, was for racism, mm. 228,000. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Mm. And in the size of your organization, that's what, if, if your organization found guilty of that, that um, violation of human rights, then your organization would have had to pay that. So there's a real cost to this. There's also a real cost, I think, hiring talent, hiring <laughs> talent. The biggest worry for most CEOs that we're working with right now is being able to attract the right talent. Right? And if you're not an organization that is socially just, you're not going to attract most of the talent. Most of the talent coming into the workplace right now, they they have way different standards. And you've got to be able to um, work to those standards as an organization. But, you know, in, in our day, um, and I think I'm talking for all three of us, in our day, um, people could get away with much more than they can get away with now, right? Um, so <coughs> abuse in the workplace has always been an issue. Um, but organizations now seriously need to step up. They're in in, um, in play at the moment is legislation around abuse, sexual abuse in the workplace that is likely to come into <laughs> this year around your organization needing to prevent sexual harassment. Absolutely. Defend it, right? So this is a serious business issue. I just wanted to set that context before we got into the um, so that people really understand that we're not just, you know, kind-hearted, well-meaning people. We, we, we're serious about the longevity and success of organizations. And sustainability of these solutions and um, approaches as well. Yeah. So thank you for setting that. Actually, Shireen, I think I think really important to set that context. And 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 without ado, I really want to introduce Maria. Maria Arper, MBE, founder and visionary of the charity Center for Peaceful Solutions. Welcome to our episode, our Privilege Eruption podcast. Really excited to talk to you. Hey, Maria. Great. Great to see you again. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a joy to be here. And, you know, as I was thinking about the invitation and our discussions, I was thinking what an honour it is to be asked. Um, because I've, I think I have to admit that I'm quite late to opening an understanding of these issues. And it's been a very steep learning curve 
And I've had to kind of really look in myself and my own cultural background to understand how colonised I have been. Um, mm. And I'd say that this has been a, a, a kind of, yeah, steep learning curve over the last two to three years, which in comparison to the sort of over 20 years I've been doing this work, it's relatively a short time. So I don't know, maybe that I felt that it was a kind of testament to the learning journey I've been on to be asked to do this. So I'm very grateful. Oh, you're very welcome here. We're very grateful for you too. I'd, I'd like our, our our listeners to get to know you a bit, Maria. So, so I know you work in the area of nonviolent communication, conflict resolution, restorative justice. Um, I know our listeners will be really interested in understanding all of that. But I also want to acknowledge that you are recognised as one of the top mediators in the UK. Is that right? Did I get that? Yeah, right? I have been. Yes, yes. There was a moment yeah. when, uh, yes, when lots of people would say that about me. Although um, I would say that. Since then, my work's expanded and I'm more interested in the governance and the structure and the systems that create the conditions in which the conflicts take place. So I've kind of, yeah. I've kind of, while I have a heart for those little individual um, disputes and conflicts and, you know, I can generally walk in and make a difference I think that what's lacking is a bigger picture, you know, holding the magnifying glass further away so that you see that there's things in society and the systems and, you know, I'll get onto this, what I call domination culture, that create the conditions mm. for people to fight each other and create what I call unnecessary human suffering. Mm. I'm just pausing because I know Shreen's thinking about this. There's thoughts. <laughs> I'm just really moved by what you're what you're doing, Maria. And it's it's true, you know, important to support one-to-one -one mediation. But if you can get the structure and the governance and the systems right, there will be less need for those one-to-one -one mediations. So I could give you an example off the bat of our work in Dartmoor Prison, if that's... Yeah, that would be lovely. So, so we have and trained... Part, part, part of that, Maria, as part of that um, example, tell us tell us a little bit about the work you do. You know, I know you're going to give that okay. example of Dartmoor, but, you know, a little bit of um, so sort of also what motivates you around this? What, why is this important? I think it would be, yeah. Kami, I think okay. it's lovely, Maria, for our listeners to... Hear your story, because your story is really moving. Wow, thank you. Well, you know, I guess I live with that story. So, <laughs> um, uh, 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 But, yeah, I mean, I, some, I think it is useful. I mean, I think it's useful for people to hear that, you know, I grew up as the daughter of an immigrant family. Um, my family's Maltese. I identify as Maltese, although... That's very recent. It's kind of recent, but not recent. Um, and uh, we grew up in the slums of London. The housing, our housing was declared unfit for human habitation. Mm. Um, and I was, I, I was struck by how we were treated. Even though I had no other reference point as a child growing up, I was still struck by, uh, an unfairness 
that I couldn't put words to, a, a sense of injustice that I couldn't put words to. And it was only as I got older and I started to understand these things. And then I realized how important it is to be able to name things because mm. you can't care about something if you can't name it. So um, I went from, uh, you know, growing up in the slums and, you know, quite honestly, there were many avenues and one of those avenues could have been crime to get out of the ghetto. Mm. I was lucky in that somehow there was something in me that found entrepreneurship. So by the time I was 28, I was running my own advertising agency and, you know, wearing big makeup and big heart shoes and the big handbag and, you know, strutting around with big hair. Um, uh, and, um, what happened to me was as I became the business owner and the boss and I started hiring people, I found myself treating people the way I didn't like being treated. Mm. And um, and then becoming a mother and being a very, um, uh, uh, you know, domineering, you know, my way or the highway. And as the years went on, those that was kind of during the 90s, I started to recognise what I could only describe now as a spiritual desert internally. And that was what I was looking for, some kind of healing or understanding. You know, I was successful. I was making money and we were, you know, doing all those things and I was being able to chuck my childhood in a neat little box and not think about all of the, you know, the wounds that weren't healed because you're, I was acting them out in a different way. Um, and then I discovered in the same year um, Reiki healing, Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication and community mediation all in the same year, all at once. Oh, and it was yeah. like, you know, it, it it was not a quiet voice. It was it kind of knocked me around a bit and said, you know, you, this is this is transformative. This is where you're going. So by the time I was forty, I'd sold the ad agency, and um, there was a mad moment where I had to sit my teenagers down and say, uh, I'm changing career and we're going to be poor, and they were not best pleased with me. My my daughter referred to that years later at the time. Mum went weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but you know I'm you know, I'm nothing if persistent and and full of perseverance and um, just dug and dug and dug and just kept looking at why do people fight? What is it? And um, that led me to um, I bought a house, I got divorced, and I ended up in an area where there was a lot of gang activity right outside my doorstep. Mm. And I just felt, you know, maybe maybe looking back, it was complete stupidity. But, you know, at the time, I literally went out on the street and asked people, like, what is going on? What What is this? How is there this need to do this? I learned a lot about, you know, organised crime. Um, but I also learned a lot about people and fighting and what I call domination culture and the indoctrination of adversarial oppositional processes that lead us to compete with each other instead of to love each other. 
And you find that in workplaces and you find it in the education system and you find it in the justice system. And this is not who we're meant to be as humans. This is a um, constructed system designed to keep some people in a place of privilege and others fighting amongst themselves. Really doing harm. Yeah. It's it's what we're talking about, right? Structural violence. And it's both physical and and invisible. And, and, you know, Cami, we look at the organisational context. Mm. But the thing is, the more I study this subject, the more I see that the organisational context is shaped by the societal context. I, I, I completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And that for me is the issue because what I've been learning is you can't create a them and us. There isn't a them and us. There's an us, Mm. right? Mm. And But the indoctrination of domination culture as the only system that we're taught, a punitive, adversarial, debate-driven, winning the argument, knocking the other person over. Um, And you can see that in all sorts of places, in families, in the courtroom, you know, you see it everywhere, Um, doesn't serve us as humans. And so we end up having to kill off parts of ourselves as we're killing off parts of nature, as we're destroying the God-given resources we've been given. Um, and it's it's kind of your topic, this topic in organisations is part of a much bigger picture of unravelling and being able to say, when you look at, I mean, in the news in America, a six-year-old has just shot a teacher, right? When you look at Partygate, you know, Boris and Partygate mm. and the hypocrisy. Um, when you look at um, the immigration crises and the way it's being um, mm. looked at, we have to at some point say this domination culture system is no longer fit for purpose. It doesn't work. It's defunct. And we all have to get back to our vulnerability mm-hmm. if we're going to have to try something new. We've gotten as a society to a place where we're not connected to our humanity, you know, our human nature on compassion, empathetic, and we all have that that capability, but we're not encouraged to connect with that. We're encouraged to connect with this adversarial side of us that is all about winning and being up front or at the front line and and we forget everyone else and everything else. Competing, like we're competing with everything and everybody. And actually, at at the end of the day, see, if you see yourself as separate and you're sitting in a fear energy of there not being enough and that you've got to win against everybody else, then where where do you stop? You could use any strategy you want, Mm -hmm. kill people to get what you want, you know, and those microaggressions and all the things that we talk about. I mean, often a lot of that is coming out of pure ignorance. Yeah. Let's, you know, but. It's structural, isn't it? It's Mm. it's ignorance because it's been codified. Yes, Mm. that's it. Exactly. 
what um, that's what we see, you know. So when somebody comes and asks you, "Where are you from?" You know that that whole story from Christmas where the Queen's main aide. Oh yes, yes. This poor black woman. Mm. Eight times. Where do you come from? <laughs> it's like, yeah, where are you really from? Oh, I can see this is going to be really difficult. You know get the answer from you am i right it's like that is a perfect example of what you're talking about when you say microaggressions right and the, and you know then there's the touching the hair and the i look i'm the same color as you i've been off to mm. Africa on holiday or something <clears throat> um these are all codified ways of suppressing others isn't it and that's what we mean by microaggressions and structural violence. These are ways of um, ensuring that difference in the worst possible way mm. is kept alive. Yeah. And it's an, also a way of us avoiding yeah. meeting in our common humanity. Mm. Mm. Can I, I can I just take that a little bit further in the organisation? I think it also is codified. So what you've just built, what you've just said, Maria, I think take that a step further. It's reflected within our practices. It's reflected in our processes, our systems yeah. that enable some but not others. Yeah. Um, that 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 nurture the few but not the many. You know. Yeah. So my um, it's not my favourite one one example that really makes me worm is that young women today are it's codified they're not even told anymore it's like we've got to wear these thin high heels and short skirts in order to be seen as professional right when when i started work in the 80s you know wedge heel long skirts you know was all fine um <laughs> but nowadays they have to look sexualized mm -hmm. And I think that's a micro microaggression as well, right? It's in the system. It's structural violence. Um, it's just, I, I imagine it's really uncomfortable to have to walk around in those heels. I don't think I ever did, uh, to be honest. Um, and, and to, you know, have your skirt so short that, you know, if you had to bend over to put, plug some plug your computer in, you know, you're just really conscious and uncomfortable, right? But these, the, you know, for me, when I mm. hear you say that, what comes up for me is um, how little uh, clubs of uh, compliance and uh, falling in with the crowd, how they are, com uh, um, how they are put together, mm. kind of not even, not even um, consciously. Yeah. And then and then you don't want to be the odd one out or you don't want to be different. So you, even when something in you says, do I really want to do this? Yeah. Well, I couldn't stand the shame of not belonging in, in the wrong ways, in all the wrong ways. Mm -hmm. so, um, so the way I see the domination culture system is it creates structures and it creates, you know, in, if we're talking about organisations, um, disciplinary and grievance procedures, you know, which have failed monumentally 
to deliver on its promises of less conflict in workplaces and, you know, failed monumentally for all sorts of reasons. But what domination culture does is it creates a bandwidth of compliance and rules and procedures. And if you can't fit into it, there's something wrong with you. The system never says maybe we need to look at, you know, it's that I think it was Alfie Cohn who said, you know, if you're being asked to think outside the box, it's the box that needs to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so domination culture does that and then what it does is when you are not compliant because it thinks you're not capable of compliance and therefore you're not normal and you don't fit in and you don't belong it says there's something wrong with you and it usually goes to you've got mental health problems oh there's something something wrong with you as a not mental health but just person your personality yeah doesn't that's fit what i'm saying or, there's something wrong you know, with you there's you're something not, wrong with you as your identity okay. doesn't fit here yeah, yeah. you're yeah. you're not yeah. okay because yeah. we are the okay people yeah and the trouble is that then the people so i have a heart for the people in the system that make the rules because they too are oppressed yeah. by the very rules they're upholding. It's it's mm. quite a complicated mm. thing. So mm. I see it as a scale. I see that um, there's a scale and or a spectrum and you have domination culture at this end and then you have all the harmful effects of it and then we could go at the far and extreme end I would look at um indigenous first nations people and then I would look at slavery I would say you know there's the real extreme stuff but then I can come along the scale and I can start looking at managers in workplaces who are under so much pressure I heard once about a man whose boss had he had to drop his child off to and he used to meet the nanny on the while the daycare woman on the way. And he was so worried by his um boss that wanting him in earlier and earlier that he ended up leaving his two-year-old in the car on her own wow. for, for 20 minutes because he had to get to the meeting earlier. And that became a regular thing that he was doing um, for the pickup. And so those people are still suffering. They're enforcing Mm. something that kills them. And so we have to have a heart. It doesn't matter how far up the food chain you are. It's damaging you anyway. It's just, of course, privilege. It makes it more bearable. Yes. Does that makes sense. And less exposed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your ability to navigate becomes yeah. greater the more privilege you have. Yes. So I'm not creating a them and us. I'm saying we're all suffering as a result of this system. Yeah. Of course, the effects on people of different cultures from the global south and all the rest of it, and people who are not recognised yes. have a you know, the suffering on them is much greater. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our intention is to bring you new insights about the impact of power, privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organisation. You can check out our episode description for social media accounts and don't forget to send in your questions and you can send those to 
our email, equitychampions at belongingpioneers.com. We look forward to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Cami said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.